Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. It is day 18 of OSR October, and today I'm going to talk about a series of zines called A Thousand Thousand Islands. I've got a whole bunch of them in front of me. There's like eight of them plus some drawings. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I'm going to send you to the website. There's a link in the show notes, but we're going to talk about the first zine right here. Effectively, this is a setting with a whole bunch of different islands and areas, and each of these zines covers a different area. So we're going to talk about number one, which is Mkurgur, the Death Rolled Kingdom. Now, this is this, these zines are put together by Zedek Siu and Munkeo. That's how you pronounce it. That's uh, Zedek is the writer and illustrations are Munkeo. They're very, very simply put together. And like when I open the book up, I've got uh, a little image of kind of like a, a river running through a bunch of hills, very majestic. And then it says, five days by boat upriver. You come to wide lake, watched by limestone cliffs. Shapes lurk in the water. Shapes wait up ahead. This is the kind of thing that this zine has. It's just very, uh, it opens your mind and makes you think. Next page, the gates. One is black, made of balsa blocks, none smaller than an ox. One is milk white, made of marble columns, interlaced, held up by no architectural principle you can see, except maybe sorcery. Once this was not a lake, but a city. Once this was a city of black walls, of colonnaded bridges, of market barges, and military banners, a border fortress, gateway to great kingdoms, peopled by a race older than man. An old race, a proud race. Oh, what power, what vainglory. They called upon their ancestors, not to worship, but to chastise, to mock. They trapped their gods and idols, forced them to dance, to perform vaudevillian obscene acts. Oh, how they laughed. Their laughter was echoed by thunder from heaven, by a tide from the river. By that flood came a thousand monsters. And so the old kingdom was punished. And so the old kingdom fell. So this is basically a uh, a port. And again, it is uh, this this black and white illustrations in here showing the port city. We have a trader's island. Then we have some NPCs. We've got forest goods of the death rolled kingdom, spirit mango, snake stone, corpse honey. Tohei leather. We've got cracker fish, sweet resin. Each of these with brief descriptions. And then we have customs of the Death Rolled Kingdom. Access. Outsiders cannot spend nights ashore. To get permission, you must petition a crocodile. They will drag you into the water. They will hold you under. You will nearly drown. This is your proper place. Here in the place of crocodiles, sometimes they decide you must drown. Should you survive, you burst out of the river gasping, a citizen of Mkurgur, mystically marked as such. Adventure. The overgrown ruins of Mkurgur are taboo. All priests and most crocodiles agree the secrets they hold should stay hidden. 
then we've got some charts and counters in the Dutch World Kingdom. This is a, let's see, 2D6 chart. Let's see, I'll take number six. A freelance downlader expedition. Bandaged limbs. Handheld cannon. Sacks of stolen, probably cursed treasures. There's demon idols that you can encounter. Ages those who hear its voice. Years and seconds. It was a god of fire. Then we've got a town. And we have some uh, desonants of the town. Which are mostly crocodiles. People of the Death Roll Kingdom. The one you just met has an exaggerated limp. It jumps from leg to leg. And a staff. Flowering orchids in mirrored colors. A shaman. And they are hiding. Their spouse stalks the area, murderously angry at their infidelity. This creates all kinds of fun, fun uh, adventures. There's then a page of uh, kind of peoples, effectively, doing various acts. You can see some weapons, some boats, uh, just kind of life in the kingdoms to get an idea of, when I say peoples here, I'm talking about actual like human peoples as opposed to the crocodiles. Then we have some personalities. Dien, the Toyo Teo princess. Her afro is shaped like a cavalier's hat. A magic belt gives her body the look and toughness of lacquered wood. Or Yolo Sanzan, the half-sword, who basically has a sword coming out of his head. <laughs> then we have Grunrder, business owner, big fat crocodile being carried by four people. And Kalbala, the crocodile hunter. An ordinary dock hand barrel-chested, dull-faced from fatigue. All that hides the fact Kavala is a serial killer. He kills crocodiles. No special powers, just craft and skill. Even in a land of predators, his work is getting noticed. So you can see there's all kinds of different, there's a few more NPCs in here, all kinds of different people you can encounter. You've got various rituals and things that go on. You've got royal apartments, the palace, information about crocodiles you can encounter. And I had picked up, I think, the first five of these when I started running a campaign in Dungeon Crawl Classics, which you can see the actual plays of on my channel. And we never got past the first book. There's so much here, so much interest. This is a great, great series. Beautiful, simple art, incredibly evocative, and lots of stuff here to work with to build your campaign. So I definitely recommend Thousand Thousand Islands. And like I said, I will put the information in the show notes. Just a clarification here. When I say we didn't get past the first book, we played like six or seven months weekly. So <laughs> what I mean is the first book is so full of great stuff that we were able to get tons of use out of it. Not that we didn't get past it because it wasn't very good. <laughs> uh, just the opposite, actually. I was dropping all kinds of clues for the other books, but there was so much going on in the first book that uh, my player, Nikki, she never really left this area. And we did vow to come back someday, but we never got a chance to. So unfortunately, you can see, I'm going to say there's there's at least 20 episodes, would be my guess, of us playing in this area. So if you're interested in it, it's very, very cool. Definitely check it out. Hey, Daniel, this is Carl again. Thanks for playing that rambly, long-winded discussion of Kingmaker or post about Kingmaker. And I, I, I do see your point. That is a pretty I mean, awesome observation, honestly, right? That you do have an, there is an end game in mind. These are called adventure paths. So they do have this idea of having a linear adventure. And I know 
I don't know if Kingmaker, see, I'm trying to think, to respond specifically to Kingmaker, I, I definitely there are some Paizo, especially adventure paths that are more linear than others. But I think, and Kingmaker, yeah, I guess there is an expectation, like as they add more books, that you expand the territory as opposed to just going to where you hear about the rumor of like, Someone else has a, a settlement over the mount over the mountains or, or beyond the forest or across the plains or wherever you're going or down river even right there is an expectation and I think they do it because of you know balance reasons that you don't want to go too far nearby is lower level and as you expand your territory it gets harder and harder and maybe that's the idea and then there I, I think what I think is cool and you, something you brought up is you know the Assumed endgame in OSR being domain play and perhaps mass battle that comes with the domain play defending your your territory and all that. And I think what I think is neat about um, this game, and I, I, get, I, I love domain play, I'll just say. I, I enjoy it a lot. I, I don't feel like it's necessarily specific or should be limited to, maybe that's a, I don't think it should be limited to just high level play, even in BX or OSR. I I love the domain play that we had, even from the almost the very low level in um in the Broken Lands game that I had. The characters just found a territory that no one had claimed and, and stuck stuck their claim on it, cleared it out, and then we started from a lower level than, you know, becoming a lord or the titled level. And I guess maybe you get all those trappings at that level so it makes it easier. But I think players really had fun, and I think they would have fun in Kingmaker you know, doing the same thing, starting domain play at a lower level. All right. I also love, Daniel, that you discuss um, how different players respond differently to, the, to a type of gameplay. I have had a player tell me, I hate sandboxes. Give me some sort of adventure hook that I might follow. You know, they prefer a linear path or a linear adventure. And other players want the, the you know, give me everything and let me decide what I want to do. I want to go in any direction I can possibly go. And they love the sandbox. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm, for me, I'm, I feel like a, a little of both. I love having all these options and rumors, but sometimes, you know, if we got to play a game and the it's an adventure that someone has conceived of and written, well, you know, there is a linear path to the conclusion of that adventure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I I I like hex crawls. I am not as big a fan of like point crawls, but uh, but give me like a set piece adventure here and there and a mystery to solve that goes in a linear path, and that's pretty cool too. But uh, I I love that observation. It's really true. Some players you know prefer one way or the other, or are not a fan of figuring out their own way, and give me a good hook or you know hook me. You give me something to follow, to chew on. So, uh, nice. Thanks, Carl. That was Carl Rodriguez from the Geomologist Presents podcast. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the great things about role-playing games in general is there's so many different ways that we can do things. And sometimes, I, I agree with you, sometimes I just like to know the adventure's there, drop me off at the, at the adventure and I will follow it. Other times I like a sandbox. I think for me, if I had to like delineate, I'd say if I'm in a campaign I generally like to have as many options as possible. And then as I make my choices, they become more and more narrow. So I'm kind of making my own railroad, if you will, my own path. 
you know, once you've gone so far, it's hard to go back, right? Uh, but if I'm playing a one-shot or a short thing and somebody's like, this is an adventure where we're going to play five sessions and you're going to try to defeat this thing or try to do this thing, then I'm 100% on board with a linear adventure. I think it's a fun way to play. And yeah, I agree that uh, domain play can be really fun at all levels. And in fact, I think tomorrow's OSR October, I will talk about a, a product that is not new, but one that I discovered recently, which is called an Echo Resounding, which actually talks exactly about that. The idea of building up domain from the beginning and how characters can get involved before they become lordly levels. So I will, uh, I'll talk about that tomorrow. Thanks for your calls. Hey, Daniel. Great episode. Um, as far as Carl's call and Kingmaker goes, I think one thing I, it, I know Joe's talked about this over in hindsight list, but Pathfinder, ten, they tend to introduce new mechanics in each of these adventure paths. And I guess the Kingmaker is where they introduced Dominion level play and, and some of these other things. So that was like a big deal with that because normally you don't get to do that and Kingmaker added it in. So that so it's kind of a special thing for that adventure path, I think. I, I'm not really sure I haven't played or read it, but that's my understanding from what Joe was saying over hindsightless. Also, we now have definitive word that OSR is a play style, not a type of rule set, because over in the interview on Matt with Matt Finch on Kevin's podcast, Redcast podcast, Matt Finch said the words mothership is OSR. So since mothership is OSR, obviously it has nothing to do with TSR rules, so it's got to be a play style. So that question's been answered. As far as the idea of OSR being dead or not, I don't think OSR is dead, but I think the renaissance or revival is over. That period of its lifestyle is over. And so now we need to move on to whatever else we're going to do with old school. So long live old school. But I think the Renaissance, I mean, it's been 20 years. I think the Renaissance revival part's done. And we, we need to move on to the fact that it's been revived. It's going strong. So let's look at it from here on out. Anyhow, great episode. Take care. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Jason. That was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Well, now we know definitively the OSR is... Not dead, but maybe over. There's no more revival. You're not allowed to revive anymore. What, what I think is interesting about this, and of course, I'll, I'll use the music analogy because that's what everybody always does, is I think about how different generations of people rediscover things, right? So we who, and I mean, I was late in the OSR, but we who have been maybe doing OSR stuff for a while or considering things OSR are like, well, the revival's over. It's already here. But to the person who has just learned about D&D, let's say the last couple of years, been playing 5th edition, been playing Pathfinder, been playing modern games that are readily available, currently being published, currently being worked on, and then they discover something like OSE. Now, is that a revival for them? Is that a, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, but I, I, I lean towards the play style myself personally. I think I've talked about that before and the DIY nature of it, but I think that OSR is oftentimes used to just mean old school. And that's also fine with me. I try not to to be in charge of terms because I'm not very good at it. But in any case, thanks for calling in. And oh, yeah, yeah, about the Kingmaker thing. That's very cool. I love the idea that the different adventure paths or the different modules add something to the game. That's something TSR used to do. And, you know, like, uh, for instance, Boot Hill, when you get the, uh, the BH2, I think, the one where it's a treasure map. There's rules in there to do certain things like overland travel and like 
these kind of things that weren't in the actual rules because the original game was developed more as like a tabletop skirmish game. Whereas now all of a sudden you have this med miners, med something, somebody will let me know what it is, but a great little module. And you're basically following a treasure map that you find. And it's got rules for like encountering animals, for instance, like if you encounter a bear or a snake, it's got, and it's got rules for, I think, overriding horses. I can't remember, like riding horses too hard, stuff like that. So I think it's cool that which one way we can add to the game is with modules. Now, I think that's kind of what 5e does now with Unearthed Arcana, right? They can do it online. They can just throw stuff out there, extra rules, which is pretty cool as well. Thanks, Carl and Jason, for your calls. If you'd like to call into the show, there's a link in the show notes to the Anchor page to do that. Or you could reach out to me, which both of these two gentlemen did on Discord. I have my own Discord, which you can join, link in the show notes. Uh, or I'm also on the Audio Dungeon Discord, as well as Clerics Wear Ringmail. So if you check me out on any of those Discords, you can send me a link directly through a private message, and I will play it here. Did I say a link? You can send me a, a soundbite. Uh, you could also just type something out, uh, and I may or may not read it. I mean, I may just talk about it, <laughs> depending on what you send me, I guess, right? Um, I can't guarantee I will read your email because I am terrible at reading stuff. If you haven't noticed that in the last 16, 17 days where I've been reading these things, I'm not great at reading on the mic. So <laughs> I can't guarantee I'll read your message if it's long. But in any case, thanks for listening, everybody. And I'll talk to you soon.